Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree. Uh, I am so excited to have everybody here tonight. This is going to be, I think, a very important show that uh, people who are listening in are going to find incredibly useful and practical. And this is a show that I like to say is one that I wish I would have had uh, about a month ago when I had to do a really major event. Uh, we're going to be talking about public speaking today, and for those of you who do not know me, my name is Teresa Reed, and you can fi- find me at www.thetarolady.com. And let me bring on my absolutely splendid co-host, Miss Brianna Saucy. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We love having all of you live listeners and folks listening to the recording later. And yes, I cannot agree more. Public speaking is super intimidating for so many people, but it is absolutely essential if you want to get your message out there in front of audiences. So this is such an important show, and we're so excited to have Dr. Michelle Mazur with us. And yeah, I'm super pumped about it. So I'm Brianna Saucy, and you can find me at briannasaucy.com. Welcome, everyone. Yes, I am just so tickled pink about this show. Uh, I'm so glad to be talking with you, and we'll bring on uh, Dr. Michelle Mazur in just a minute. I hope I pronounced that name right. Uh, Mazur, <laughs> Mazur, like laser. Mazur, got it. <laughs> Anyhow, for those of you who are listening in, I don't know if any uh, any of our listeners have done any public speaking before. You know, I've done some, and you know, Bree, I am I'm an absolute introvert. So for me to get up on a stage is a lot. It is nerve-wracking. It is scary. And, you know, you always read about public speaking being one of the most biggest fears that people have. I think it's the biggest fear next to, you know, something like clowns. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know. for a long time it was, it was feared more than death. I don't yeah. know if it still is, but I know for a long time it was. Yeah, well, I, I, I got to tell you, when I had to uh, get on stage last month, I, I really did a lot of work to, you know, kind of get through that, and I did a really great job. But, you know, learning how to speak in public, I think it's an art. I, I think it's something that people can learn, but it's not easy for a lot of us. Uh, how about you? Do you struggle with it, or are you, like, really down with it? You know, I so when I was in middle school and high school, I did a ton of debating, and I did I competed at the state level in extemporaneous speaking, and so I was very very comfortable with it through high school, through college. I had to in college, I had to like give a public presentation, like defending my thesis, and I couldn't suck or I wouldn't graduate. So I I've had a lot of situations like that. And I had done a lot of presentations to groups, and then I took a, I would say probably like a, a five or six year hiatus where mm-hmm. I was making my home, and I was having my baby, and I was really like much more in that kind of domestic bliss cocoon. And you know, Teresa, actually, the retreat that I did with you was the first time in a long time that I had presented for a group. And it felt really, really good. And I love to speak in public. And I also have a deep appreciation for the art form. You know, it, people who do it well can really make it look effortless. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of preparation, at least as I, as I was taught. There's a ton of preparation that goes into making it look really easy. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, what What a lot of people don't know is that I actually 
uh, also did uh, in in high school. I did forensics, and I actually went to state and I won the, a letter. Oh my uh, gosh! See, <laughs> we we are just like we are twin sisters. Yeah. Yeah, and I did I did a little drama and all that, but that's really been about it. And I've taught a lot. I've taught a lot of tarot over the years, but the big stage has always been a little bit kind of scary. Um, I've done a couple conferences now, and the big one was last month. So you know, I just keep progressively going up. And I, I just think, again, for people who are in the metaphysical industry, learning how to speak in public is not only getting your message out there, it's also helping you to bring a lot more people into your world, and it's helping to build up some street cred. So I think being able to get on these stages is really good for us, introvert or not. you agree? I, I really, really agree. And I think, you know, I talk about this a lot, and I talk about how, the sacred arts or a mystical life, how these are becoming more and more part of the mainstream. We're seeing them show up in mainstream culture more and more every day. And so I think it is not just good for individuals or good for your business. I think it's really becoming a requirement Mm -hmm. to be able to articulate what you do, what its value is, why it's worthwhile, in a manner that is clear and persuasive for an audience. Because I think that as time moves forward, we are all going to be called to do that more and more. So I think it really is becoming a skill set that's not optional. Right. And so we have an incredibly, incredibly intelligent, wonderful guest that we're bringing on tonight. And this is going to be the person that will give our audience a lot of great tips and insights so that you can maybe get up on that stage and not be afraid to take the mic and rock it out in the very best way possible. And, Bree, I'm going to have you introduce our guest because I'm afraid. I just don't want to take a chance of butchering the name. So <laughs> I'm putting I'm it on you, baby. I will be your Mercury retrograde fallback girl. <laughs> so we are so excited, and I have to tell you guys, when – Teresa said that we were going to work with Dr. Michelle Mazur for this show. I immediately went to her website, and she has the most awesome light bulb logo, and it's like this light bulb is exploding with brilliance, and I loved it so much, and I was like, this lady rocks. So we have, we have brought to you today Dr. Michelle Mazur. She's a Ph.D., and she delivers audacious breakthroughs for speakers who want to stand out, be the best in class in their field, and position themselves in a category of one which is a really important thing to be able to do. I love that. She is the CEO of Communication Rebel and the author of Speak Up for Your Business. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. We are so delighted to have you, and we cannot wait to partake of your brilliance and your your rebel self. (laughs) Well, I am so excited to be here, and thank you for having me. Well, we, yes. we we are thrilled because, again, this is a hot topic, and this is something as more metaphysical practitioners start claiming their place in the spotlight, we've got to learn how to do this. We cannot be hiding out in our metaphysical closets too afraid to get up there and grab the mic. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. And I'm a forensics geek, too, so that's three of us. Oh, my gosh. Like, See? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Was it forensic? See, when I did it, I'm I'm 34. I'll turn 35 in October. When I did it, it was cross-examination debate, but it was part of a larger club that was forensics. Is that what it was for you guys? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah that's what it was for me. Yeah, mine okay. was acting. I wasn't doing um, debate or public speaks. Speaking, okay. I was doing acting. So, uh, you were a drama girl. A, yeah, I did a lot of plays. I actually did musicals, and I sang in a musical. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I want That's a little grease the fact, guys. But what I to talk about that is... <laughs> but I anyhow, it. <laughs> let's get out the first thing. You know, the first thing I want to talk about, Bree and I mentioned that public speaking is one of America's biggest phobias probably maybe a big phobia for anyone in the world. So, so mm-hmm. Dr. Michelle, tell us why you think this might be. I'm, my opinion is that it's how it makes us feel beforehand. Because mm. if you, especially you, Teresa, you've just done a big speech. I know you have another yep. big workshop coming up. And before a presentation, it doesn't feel good. Your stomach's in knots. You might have clammy hands. You might find yourself spending a lot of time in the bathroom. You could be shaking. Your voice could be shaking. And why that happens is because of adrenaline. And -hmm. if you think about it, like back in caveman times, when you stood in an open field with people and animals surrounding you, you were in this place of danger, and your body was like, oh, this isn't good. Somebody's going to hurt us, so I better get ready to run away or fight. And as speakers, when you get ready to step on that stage, you're putting yourself in a wide-open place in front of so many people and our body doesn't differentiate between the threat of being in the wild back in caveman days or the threat of being on stage in front of a bunch of friendly faces mm-hmm. and we get so nervous it's our body's response and so then the adrenaline floods us even when we're just thinking about it and it feels terrible and I think that's one of the reasons why people don't like doing it and are like oh I'm so afraid and actually it's not about being afraid it's about the anxiety response it produces mm-hmm. that is I think that is such a really smart discernment to make that it's not it's not the act itself, it's the way it makes us feel, and then it's even the way it makes us feel, like, before we do it specifically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because most people will tell you, oh, well, once I get on stage, I'm fine after yeah. about five minutes, because what happens is your body realizes, oh, I'm safe, it's okay, <laughs> and the, then the dr- adrenaline decreases. And you feel okay, but it is just those moments of getting up there and getting on stage. And I don't care how long you've been speaking, whether it's your very first speech or it's your millionth speech, you're always going to have a little bit of that adrenaline, that anxiety, or you can reframe it as excitement for the presentation that makes our stomachs go in knots and our voice shake a little bit. That makes perfect sense. I've got to tell you this, when I was doing my big thing, we had a technology snafu at the beginning right before I got on stage. And so, yeah, as soon as I'm on stage, they can't get the technology to work. And I'm already nervous. 
But once I kind of sank into it, and I said, you know what, I'm taking control here, technology or not. And then I sank <laughs> into it, and I began doing what I was doing. You're right, that whole that whole feeling just started going away. It dissipated, and I got mm-hmm. into my body and into the moment. So I totally know what you're talking about with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think the key, especially when you're just starting out, is to realize that that's going to happen. It's normal. And one of the best tips that I tell speakers who are just starting out outside of, like, practice and prepare is that before a speech, it's a great idea to do a little physical exercise. And I don't mean, like, going to the gym and doing, like, a hardcore weightlifting workout, but, you know, taking a walk for 20 minutes, playing with your kids, gardening, something that gets you active and your pulse, you know, like your heart going, because what happens is when you're exercising, you're burning off extra adrenaline, and those, and there have been studies that show that that actually lasts up till eight hours after you've exercised, so Mm. it's a nice way to kind of take the edge off the nerves before a presentation. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It reminds me of, for me, whenever I speak in public, my hands get really cold. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it got to where it was sort of like something was wrong if I didn't have that sensation, you know? <laughs> like I didn't yeah. really know what was happening. So I really I appreciate the emphasis on the physiological responses because that's, you're so right. That's a huge part of it. Yeah, it is a lot of the physical responses. And then because we feel that way, we start mentally attributing it to other things like, mm-hmm. I'm going to fail, no one's going to care, I can't believe I said I would do this. <laughs> and then it becomes this mental game. And so if you can work with the adrenaline to begin with and realize, okay, this is what's going to happen and it doesn't mean I'm going to fail, it's just my normal response and take the edge off, then you're setting yourself up in a better place to be successful in your presentation. Mm-hmm. So t- can you tell us a little bit of your story? Like, were you ever afraid of public speaking? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, my, I was terribly awkward and shy and weird in high school, and my first speech was a public speaking class. And it was, I don't remember what I spoke on, but I remember it was a horrible experience because the boy that I was desperately in love with was in my public speaking class and sat in the very front row. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Talk about pressure. And I was so nervous behind the the podium that my knees were knocking and I pretty much had the white knuckle death grip and I swear I spit all over this boy during the speech because for some reason (laughs) I just could not control it (laughs) and I read the speech as fast as I could and I sat down and even though I ended up getting like the pity C in the public speaking class it was kind of like the Ah. <laughs> don't be discouraged, but here's your average grade. For me, in the back of my head, I knew that it was a skill that I needed to master. So I ended up, much to my mom's chagrin, enrolling in advanced public speaking. And then from there, I took, like, oral interpretation classes and debate, and I joined the mm-hmm. forensics team. And pretty much that quest 
to get better led me to getting my PhD. And by this point in time, I have well put in my 10,000 hours of public speaking, but it was this <laughs> this development it wasn't like I was born to be on stage and now I feel like oh I make it look really easy because I've worked my whole life for it but it wasn't this natural beginning for me whatsoever it was really hard and it was terrifying and I felt super foolish mm. yeah yeah I think that fear of um, appearing foolish I think a lot of us probably can identify with that. Could you, Bree? Oh, yeah. You know, so my first public speech, um, my teacher, the teacher actually, she stopped me. And and remember, you guys, I was born with a cloth palate, so I had to go through speech therapy for like seven years. So I was already super self-conscious. And she stopped me, and she made me stand in a trash can because I was moving all around the room and, and talking, you know, and it was so distracting to her that she made me stand in a trash can so that I could not move. So, yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> I learned yeah. how to or not. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's, that's an interesting, <laughs> yeah, an interesting <laughs> way of getting you to stand still. Wow. It was really, yeah, it was just like, it was like the only way she had sort of like duct taping me. What about you, Teresa? Have you had like... And have you had a trash can experience for real? No, I I, I, I actually did really well with um, my public speaking classes and my acting classes. My teachers were really supportive, and yeah. um, I got a lot of encouragement. I never thought I was any good, but they were always like, wow, you're really good. And, you know, they kind of pushed me into it because I was very introverted. And I took the classes. We had to take a speech class because we had to. And I took a drama class because I just was very interested in it and wanted to kind of get out of my shell. And they mm -hmm. saw something in me that I didn't see. So they were pushing me. So I think I was okay with that. Uh, my biggest problem was being a messy child. I had a teacher in second grade, we're going to get off my subject real quick, who thought <laughs> I was such a slob. She would take my desk and open it up in front of the whole class and dump everything out on the floor and make me pick it up and put it back in there. So I got in trouble for other things. <laughs> I, well, and that's, but that's tough, right, because that's like a really public, all eyes are on you. So it right, is actually right, right. really related. Like, even though you're not speaking, I think that what Dr. Michelle said is exactly right. You yeah. know, it's like you're in the field, and they're all looking at you, and will they eat you? That is the question. Right on. And instead of standing in the trash can, my teacher thought I was the trash can. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> One of the things I love, and this is what, for anybody who is listening, um, I really, really love your book. It is, and I think it's one that everybody who wants to speak for the business should grab a copy of. It's called Speak Up for Your Business. And I read this book um, before I was, you know, getting ready for all my stuff. Uh, I got this book a couple months ago. And there's a whole section in here on six ways to cope with your nerves. And the one thing that I really took away from this was know mm -hmm. your introduction. And I want to read this really quickly. It says, you are going to be the most nervous during your introduction. You need to know the introduction of your presentation so well that you could deliver it drunk. That really stuck <laughs> with me. And you know what? That really helped me when I got on the stage and I had the technology stuff. I had my intro so polished and practiced and rehearsed, I was able to go into it 
without even looking at my notes. I think it's a wonderful tip. And what I'd like you to do is tell our audience some of your other tips for overcoming those nerves once you are up there on the stage. You're Mm -hmm. here, you're there, you're ready to deliver. We already know about the intro. What other tips could you give us? Yeah, so some of the other tips, like the intro one is one of my best ones. Like, I love that tip. And I also recommend to people, like, give, you know, in your head right before you take the stage is just run that first line through your head. Because if you know your intro so well that you could deliver it while you're drunk, it means you can go on automatic pilot and deal with your nerves. So I think that's such a great way to start is just in your head before you take the stage, you run that line through your head a couple of times. And then another tip is about how you take the stage. Because I see so many speakers run up on stage and then start talking immediately. Mm-hmm. And what can happen is you run up on stage, you start your speech, and all of a sudden you're out of breath. Mm. And what happens when you become out of breath is you start sending more adrenaline into your system because, hey, your body goes, I can't breathe, I'm not getting enough air. And then you're chasing your breath throughout your presentation, and that is not a good way to start. So even though you're nervous, the best way to take the stage is to walk up on stage, plant yourself, so feel the ground underneath your feet just for a split second. And that's how I like to ground myself, just feeling the floor underneath my feet. I look at the audience and smile, take a deep breath and then begin. And that sets you up to do a better job with the introduction. It gives you a little time to get comfortable on stage. And it also gives the audience a moment to lean forward and to be curious about what you're going to say next. Because even if you're terrified Coming on stage in that way makes you look really confident. So that is so key. And then the other thing I always tell people who are nervous is when you're on that stage and you're looking at the audience, I tell people to find their SAM. And SAM stands for Spectacular Audience Member because there is always someone in the audience who looks like they are so thrilled to see you that they can hardly stand it. It's the person who's like leaning forward, they're smiling at you, they look excited to see you. And so if you find that person and make eye contact with them at the beginning of a presentation, it's just like, ah, this just got a lot easier. And if you don't think you're going to find a Sam in your audience, then plant one. Like you take a friend with you to your speaking gig, you tell them how terribly nervous you are, and you ask them that when you take the stage to look at you with a big smile and some anticipation on their face so that they can help you feel more comfortable on the stage. Mm-hmm. That's really Brilliant. good advice. Really good advice. I had Hillary sitting right in the front. 
Uh, she was taking pictures for me, but just knowing that she was right there, it felt like an anchor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that I really like the advice of, you know, appearing confident, whether you feel that way internally or not, works a kind of magic. You know, and and I have found that, especially in, like, high-octane, high-pressure situations, fake it till you make it really can <laughs> serve, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Right on. That's really great advice. And, and, and you know, once once you get through that initial um, queasiness, I think you can really find your groove then and really get in your body. Yes. Yes, because then it's like, oh, okay, I'm done with the nervousness. Now I can focus on the audience and connecting. Because another tip to, like, reframe your fear is to realize public speaking isn't about you. It's never about you, the speaker. It's about the audience and what they're going to get from spending time with you, from listening to you. And that's what they're concerned about. Like, they're on your side. They want you to succeed. What they really need from you is that you don't waste their time and that you make your message about them and that it serves them and makes their life better in some way. And when you take the focus off of yourself and realize that you're there to serve, I think that helps with that nervousness as well. I love that. And don't you think, too, that, like, going off of that, that your audience, like, they want you – to give them something useful, like they want you to do a good job. Absolutely, because if you've ever sat in an audience where a speaker has had some major issues, the number one response you're having in your body is like, how can I help this person? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) You want to fix it. You want to make it better for them because you don't want to see anyone struggle like that. And so realizing that, hey, my audience is on my side, they want me to do well, they want me to succeed, they want me to make this worthwhile for them, I think really helps. And it takes away that kind of adversarial, me the speaker versus you the audience feeling of it. Yeah. So, you know, going off of that, because I think that 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 puts us, you know, to see public speaking as Another iteration of service really uh-huh. speaks to our people, you know, our, our heart-centered business owners that listen in to Talking Shop regularly. And so how do you see, like, what benefits can you think of that work especially well for metaphysical or heart-centered businesses when their owners learn to speak in public? So I've noticed when I've worked with some heart-centered, like, business owners or metaphysical business owners is that sometimes they have a very difficult time articulating what their message is or Mm. thinking about – I always ask all of my speakers to think about what do you want to be known for because we always go about it this wrong way of, like, how do I land speaking gigs? And, And honestly, that's the absolute wrong question to be asked. As, you know, it should be, what do I want to be known for?
for because that will land me speaking gigs. Mm -hmm. And I think with, you know, heart-centered business owners, they get really caught up with explaining the how of what they do instead of focusing it on the audience and showing, like, the benefits of what they do. So, you know, it's like, I do this certain type of energy work, and it goes like this, and nobody really cares about that. They care about how it benefits them. Like, what can they learn from this? What can they get out of it? And I think that is one of the challenges that heart-centered businesses face. But if they learn, if they learn how to like create an audience-centered message, then it gets much easier for them to start talking about their business, not just on the big stage, but in one-on-one conversations. And and it gets it to it frames the message in a way that it will be impactful to the audience or to the person you're talking to. So I think that's one of the big benefits. And also there's, you get to be known for something and expand your reach and your influence because you're, if your message is here to serve and you're here to help people getting on a stage and being of service is the best way to get your message to spread. And if you knock it out of the ballpark, the people in the audience will start spreading your message for you. And I think that is so very powerful. That is incredibly powerful. And, <clears throat> and I find that to be really true. When people see you up there uh, and you're really delivering something impactful, you become a role model for them, and they uh, aspire to be like you, but they also then really want to help you in other ways because they want to get that information out to other people that they know can help them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, totally. And, yeah, and for me, as I work with speakers, like I work with speakers on this, what I call like the big idea of your presentation, and it's the one thing you want the audience to remember about your speech so that if somebody comes up and says, hey, Teresa, I missed so-and-so's talk. What was it about? That right. that audience member then repeats back your big idea. And that's how your message is spread. It's how, you're, how you get to be known as an expert. Mm-hmm. And it's the way you're, yeah, it's the way you get known and booked for more speaking gigs, too. Right on. It makes total sense. Um, So, you know, going off of that, you know, how can you get your big idea up there? I mean, what are your, what kind of tips can you tell us about how to create a killer presentation that gets that idea out there? Yeah. So this is kind of a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot lately in terms of, you know, like of my business and how I can better serve people. But also, you know, it really starts with, I believe, you know, finding what you want your core message to be. Because what I've noticed is the most successful speakers are known for something. So Danielle Laporte is known for desire. Sally Hogshead is known for fascination. Brene Brown is known for vulnerability and shame. And that's what these women 
speak on. So I think the first step is to find out, start doing some exploration in what do you want to be known for. And that means looking at your larger body of work. Because if you've been in business for any amount of time, you probably have blog posts, you've done webinars, you've done workshops. And I'm a firm believer that your big idea is lurking in there somewhere. It's just waiting for you to extract it because it's a part of your expertise. But not only that, it's a part of your expertise that matters to your audience. And once you find that and know that it does matter to your audience, and I always ask my clients, you know, as a result of hearing you speak, how do you want your audience to change? Then you start crafting your message around that big idea. And everything that you do in your presentation ladders back to that big idea. So for me, it all starts with that core, like what do you want to be known for? And then why does it matter to your audience and how does it help them? What challenges? And then you start crafting that presentation because I think the mistake a lot of people make is they open up PowerPoint or a Word doc or whatever and they sit there and they just start writing a speech or they write a speech like they would write a blog post. And that's not a great way to go about it because there is some, like, strategy and thought that needs to go beforehand before you even write anything so that you know that you're meeting the needs of your audience. Right on. That's huge. And and I I really like how that translates just as as what you were talking about earlier, you know, for a heart-centered business to – be comfortable public speaking will help bring mm-hmm. clarity. Getting clear on that big idea brings clarity to all of the aspects of your business. I, yeah, I completely agree because you now know what benefit you provide to the audience. Like, for example, I was working with a woman who's a financial planner and money coach, and we landed on the idea of expect more from your money as her big idea for her presentation. Well, it wasn't just the big idea for her presentation. It was like the big idea for her business and how she was talking about her business. And now she uses that in all of her marketing and her branding. So it's not just about, well, this is another point. Like your speech needs to be aligned with your business. And I think that's a big, important thing to keep in mind because I see some people do speeches that don't have any Thing to do with their business, not even tangentially. Mm-hmm. And that's always a missed opportunity. Beautiful. So most important, oh, go ahead, Teresa, what are you going to I was say? just going to say, why do you think people do that, though? Like they pick something that has nothing to do with their business. Do you think they're doing it because they think this is what they have to talk about? I think sometimes they just get excited because, you know, us entrepreneurs, we're idea people, and we get excited about something. So, for instance, Mm -hmm. I was working with a marketing um, 
business owner writing a signature talk and he came to the came to me and he was so excited about this idea he had for customer experience and he flushed it all out and it was really great and it was juicy and it had great stories and it had nothing to do with his business it was just something he was passionate about so it's kind of that shiny object of his business might get there five years from now and he might be doing customer experience but it wasn't where he was currently at, and it wasn't what he wanted to be known for in the field of marketing. So it was like, okay, I know it's an area of passion, but let's back up and think about this. And I think that's what happens. It's like we just get distracted. It's like, oh, this would be so cool to talk about. <laughs> and and we're not thinking about like, hey, well, what do I really want to be known for? I want to I want to go I want to jam on this for a minute because you know the way that we're talking about it right now is sort of like you crafting a speech that then you're going to take to various venues that is really reflective of your business but you know sometimes we're asked to speak on a specific topic and it's related to our business like Teresa this is did, did you choose your topic when you gave your speech at the reader studio or did they ask you we want something in this in this area and you take it from there I chose my topic uh, okay. but I had to run it by them to okay. make sure that it was going to be something that um, might be interesting to the audience Got it. Uh, but it was something that was absolutely tied into my business, my brand, and how I do my work. So, mm -hmm. you know, it made total sense and it worked fine for them. So they didn't give me this thing of what I had to do. They uh -huh. kind of gave me an open door, and then when I came back with my idea, then they approved of it. So when people are in a situation where they where they are kind of given a parameter, and, mm -hmm. and it's close enough, it's related enough to their business, how do you encourage them or are there any tips to, you know, working within that parameter but still making room for your big idea? Yeah, I think there is because I think when you have the conversation, they're like, oh, well, we want you to talk about something related to this, is you work in your big idea. So that's why it's important, like, you go in with this big idea of your presentation and you know what that is. and but I, the idea should be large enough where you can adapt it to different audiences. Mm. And maybe that's as simple as out a few stories. Because that's what I teach my clients to do a lot. It's like, oh, well, this pre it's the same presentation, but, oh, it's going to be delivered to this audience. So maybe, you know, it's like, oh, it's an audience of makers instead of, like, service providers. So maybe you tell these kinds of stories to make the same point. So there's ways to adapt it, getting your big idea out. Because most of the time what I find is with speakers and people who are looking to book speakers, they want you to propose something to them. And, like, for myself and my own speaking, like, I have three topics that I speak on, and I have one that's my most popular talk, my positioning power and how to be a category of one, and then I have a talk on storytelling, and then I have a talk about how do you, like, test and sell your ideas. And those are three things that I consistently pitch. And typically one of them is in the vein of the conference. And they all ladder up to my 
you know, my uber big idea, which is about an, a rebellious act is being more of yourself because that's kind of my big uber thing that I work under. So, mm-hmm. and, and that works. And I do encourage people to like ability have like two or three talks that support your business so that you can pitch them and you're still staying on message and still aligned with your business. Because I think a mistake, especially beginning speakers make, is like, oh, I'm going to pitch myself for all of these talks, and then every time I go, I have to reinvent the wheel. And you don't want to do that because it dilutes your message, and it's a lot of work to start yeah. over every time. Yeah. That's really smart and very helpful. Indeed. And, and also the idea of having like three topics that you can speak on, uh, it forces you to really refine your message and you're not mm-hmm. all over the place then and scattering your stuff. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It makes you also then become, um, what would be the word, like specialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you get <clears throat> known for something. Right and on. That's that's what you, in order to be successful, that's what needs to happen. Yeah, that makes total sense. So what about slideshows? Do you think these are necessary? I mean, do we have to have them? And if so, you know, what are your top tips for working with them? Or how can you make a powerful presentation without them? I don't find slides completely necessary. I feel a lot of times speakers hide behind their slides. Mm. So they use it as a diversion. Because they're feeling nervous or afraid, they use it as a diversion tactic. Like, hey, look at my PowerPoint slide so you don't look at me. Or let me read your my PowerPoint slide to you so I don't have to, like, connect with you and make eye contact. So I don't think slides are necessary to give a remarkable presentation. I do think when done correctly, they can emphasize your message. So what my best practice for slides is I love slides that have big, bold images and very few words, like, Eight words or less on a slide is my perfect slide. And one of my my secret tips that I that I I mean, and I do this for my own presentations when I decide to use PowerPoint or slides is I use an app called Haiku Deck, and mm. it's it's amazing. Like Haiku Deck is so amazing because it forces you to be very concise because you can only put so many words on a slide with Haiku Deck. Mm. <laughs> but what's brilliant about it is they have built in a feature for you to search for images and it brings up Creative Commons licensed images mm. that you can use in your presentation and then cites them very like like uh, not in like an obvious like, hey, look, this is we're citing a photo, but they cite it for you automatically, so you're giving credit to the photographer, and it's just so great because I can take a presentation that I write and in 20 minutes create a slide deck from it using Haiku Deck. That's awesome. That is very yes. cool. They, I love them, and they're a local Seattle company, so I always feel like. You got got to support the home team. Got to represent. <laughs> <clears throat> I like that. I like that. 
want to do slides at all. Is you know are are there any things you should be especially aware of then when you do present so that you have the most impact? Yeah, I think. Well, and I think this goes whether you have slides or whether you don't have slides. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really about the amount of information you put in a presentation because I see this tendency to jam pack presentations with more information than is necessary. So mm. a few weeks ago, I wrote a blog post where I talked about the presentation gap. And there's this idea of like, hey, oh, great, I got a speaking gig, and this is what I really want to tell the audience, and they need to know all of these things. Well, that's what you want to be talking about, but then there's also what your audience actually needs to know in order to take action, in order to see a change of some type, and it's usually a much smaller amount of information. And a practical example of this is a few years ago I was at World Domination Summit and I went to one of the academies, and I'm not going to name names, but it was a very well-known speaker. and. His presentation overwhelmed me to a point where I was like, I never want to read another thing this person ever writes again, because it was like he wasn't taking into consideration, like, where I was walking into the room at, and most of the audience was, like, on step five of his process, and he was giving us step 42 as well, and it was, like, mm. way too much, and instead of just, like, working us through, like, the first five steps to really produce a change, he was like, I'm going to give you the full 47 steps instead. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't useful, and it was overwhelming, and it was too much information. So the so your job as a speaker, especially when you don't have slides to reinforce your message, is to figure out what does your audience actually need from you to get a, to have a result, to have a bite-sized experience of you, because I don't need all of Teresa in two hours. I just need a bite size of Teresa to understand what she's about. Right on, and there's usually enough that, people, trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then slides are, so slides really work to orient your audience and reinforce the message. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have them, you you have to like you you need to do that in in you need to build that into the speech itself. Yes. Yes. And maybe it's a little bit more repetition or you mm -hmm. know hearing people, but yeah, when you don't have that slide to reinforce the main point or the main takeaway or the action that you want the audience to take, then it's up to you to do that verbally. Or the other option that I've done when I've done a speech where I don't have slides is sometimes I I have handouts for all of my presentations because sometimes people do need something to look at or to write on to take notes with and that's another way I can reinforce my message without necessarily having slides. So you know when I was uh, doing my thing last month we had a technology disaster because the AV people were having a real issue 
and we won't go there. It's irrelevant. <laughs> we survived. It finally got working. But what would be your advice? How? Do, what do you do when things go wrong? Like, let's say your tech fails, or let's say you get a heckler in the audience who's being a real jerk. What is your advice to handle when things go really bad? Well, I think the first thing for, like, with technology fails, I think on on the speaker's end is that you need to be prepared enough that you can give your speech without technology. Because I see it so many times that speakers get really dependent on their technology for, like, remembering their presentation because guess what those slides are a great memory jog for you as a speaker but if you don't have them then you need to have backups in place like if something goes horribly wrong and also when something goes horribly wrong like in, in tech ways like no still remember that the audience is on your side they're as annoyed for you as you you know as you are at the tech people and it's not necessary for you to apologize for the technical screw up but it is your responsibility to go forward and be able to still deliver a remarkable experience whether or not the technology works and recovering from that because they'll remember how you recovered and, re and will remember your message mm -hmm. but i see people who get let that technology like ah it screws you know like it screws with my brain and then they totally fail the presentation but if you're prepared enough and you know your material you know, it's completely survivable and the audience will never blame you for it um, I think the issue with hecklers is a little bit different. The first thing I would say is the chance that you're going to get a heckler is incredibly, incredibly low. Most people are on your side, but every once in a while you have somebody who asks a really weird question or comes off very defensive. And I think the key when you're dealing with someone who's distraction, I mean, because basically a heckler is a distraction to your presentation. And those hecklers usually are doing it because they want attention. Mm. So I um, – I don't think I've ever really been heckled before, but I've seen it happen. And the one thing to do is, you know, if they have like a, you know, even if they're being snarky, and but they have like a genuine question or concern, and you can address it, like look at them and say, oh, well, what I hear you saying is this, and here's my answer. And sometimes that's enough to shut them down. It's like you've addressed them, you've given them attention, and they feel like, oh, okay, you know, like I'll be cool now. But if it continues, then it's time to enlist the audience to your rescue. And saying, you know, asking the audience, like, hey, do you want to hear from this jerk? <laughs> or do you want to hear the rest of the presentation? And the audience will always say, we want to hear you speak. And that <laughs> definitely shuts down that heckler. I mean, it takes being a little bit brave, but if somebody has the cojones to heckle you, <laughs> I think it, it's time to get the audience on your side because they don't want to hear from that person either because that person's obnoxious and they did not invest their time to hear from them. 
Right on. I like that, too, because it reminds people who, if you are in a situation where you have been heckled or you feel like you're going to get heckled, getting heckled actually puts the audience immediately on your side. (laughs) Yes. They're they're immediately like, we love you. Who is this person? Get rid of them. Leave. Yes. Yes, because then the audience is going to start turning around and giving the guy stink eye. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So going going along with that, are there things that you should never, ever do on stage? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, there's obvious things not to do on stage. Yes, yes, yes. But, I mean, so I see one of the things I see a lot is people wasting the most valuable real estate in their presentation, which is the very beginning of your speech when you're most nervous and the very end of your speech. Because people remember what they hear most first and last. And this is what I see. Like, I've seen people get on stage and they do this weird preamble. Like, they're warming up the audience. So they do, like, (laughs) chit-chat. They talk about their morning or how hard it was for them to get to the venue or whatever happened. And then they start their speech. Or they start their speech with, like, talking about themselves, even though they just had been introduced and they feel like they need to reiterate their biography again. And it's such a waste of the audience's attention because Sally Hogshead tells us that you have nine seconds to fascinate an audience. Mm. And if you're wasting that doing chit chat about what your dog did this morning, then that's a problem. And then the second thing is that I see people do at the very end of their speech is people have a hard time wrapping up their speech. And they say things like they end on Q&A, which is always – ending on Q&A is always a very bad idea because you because you don't control it. And that mm-hmm. means if somebody asks you a really weird question, that's what they're going to remember. They say things like, oh, that's all I have for you today, or thanks. Or this pretty much they drop the mic and run off stage. And that last sentence is what your audience is going to remember most. So it you should be planning that out very carefully. So don't do like don't do the witty banter before a presentation. Make sure you have a remarkable ending for your last words of a presentation. And I would also say, wow, I could go on this on for this forever. Never apologize or make excuses for yourself. I mean, it's like, oh, wow, my flight got in so late last night, so I might not be on my A game. Mm. Well, what happens if you deliver a killer presentation anyway, and now your audience is thinking, man, what would he have done if he wasn't so tired? Right. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly, incredibly useful advice. And, yeah, I've, I've been to classes or lectures where people have started week and finished week, and, and i got to tell you, those all I remember are how weak they were. I don't remember anything else. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, but that's what happens, and I see it so often with speakers that it's like oh I don't like oh I saw so and so speak oh what did they talk about I've got no idea like 
I don't remember. So that's why the beginning and the ending are so important. And when I work with clients, I I mean, I find conclu- for me, conclusions are easier to write, but introductions are the toughest part of a presentation to craft and to get right. I agree. I agree. When I was working on mine, and I'm working on the one that I'm doing for uh, my thing in July, it, the intro is always like the, the nervous part, that opening line. So I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I read an article the other day from Nilifer Merchant, and she was writing, she wrote about, like, how do I be a speaker like you? And she mentioned about, you know, you need to invest in your speaking skills and how she spent $1,000 and one day at a workshop to come up with the opening line for her TED Talk. Mm. Not the whole talk, but just one line, because that line is so make or break in getting your audience's attention. It makes total sense. Yeah, You know, they all say your first impression is everything. That's it. So we are coming down now to the absolute last few minutes. And can you tell me and Bree and our audience in maybe like one or two minutes, how do you land big gigs without having to grovel? (laughs) Um, I think the first point is without having to grovel. I think you always grovel. No. (laughs) (laughs) Is that you need to get out there and start speaking now. And I tell people who are like, oh, I'm going to start speaking in 2016, so I want to work with you in January. And I was like, well, if you want to start speaking in January of 2016, you actually have to start now because Mm -hmm. it takes between 6 to 12 months to get any traction in speaking. And that's speaking for free or speaking for low, you know, low cost or just being able to sell your books or whatever. But it's getting out there and doing those gigs and speaking as much as you can because through that you're going to meet other people and they are going to want to have you come in and talk to their organization or to their networking group. And speaking is I hate to say it, but speaking is a lot of word of mouth and referrals, and Mm -hmm. that's how you land the big speaking gigs. Like, most people who land a TED Talk don't do it because of the application process. It's because someone who knew someone saw them on stage and were like, oh, my gosh, you have to have this person at your TEDx event. Mm-hmm. And that's how it actually happens. But if you're sitting there just dreaming about TED and not writing your speech and taking action and getting better and giving it all the time, you're not going to get that traction. So that is that is my big key. It's really about word of mouth and who you know and putting yourself out there. And I think that is totally true because that's been my experience. What about you, Bree? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where the more you practice, the better you get. And when you're, when you're good, you stand out and people want that, you know. And even if it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what they're organizing, like, they'll make a space for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I've noticed is I tell people, like, to measure their presentation success. And the way you do it is you look at how many people, like, 
buy your book or want to get your free download or follow you on Twitter or ask you to speak somewhere, whether that's a podcast or another speaking gig or an interview, because good job is not a measure of presentation success. It's really about the actions people take after they hear you speak. And that that's one of the keys to landing more speaking gigs is like, do a great job and more people will want you. Well, we have to tell you that you have done an incredible job discussing this subject tonight with us and with our audience. So, Michelle, thank you so, so much for being here tonight. You are welcome. It was so much fun. And can you tell people where they can find you? Yes. I am located at drmichellemazur.com and that's d-r-m-i-c-h-e-l-l-e-m-a-z-u-r.com and you can find me on Twitter. I love Twitter at Dr. Michelle Mazur and if you have speaking questions, feel free to tweet at me or come visit me on my website because I love being able to answer those and being of service. And I also recommend for everybody who is listening that you do please get a copy of Speak Up for Your Business. It really helped me to get some tips so that I could deliver a killer presentation last month. So get that book. It's going to help you out. It's really, really easy to understand. And um, I just want to say one quick thing. Who's your favorite Duran Duran guy? Oh, gosh, I think it's morphing. <laughs> um, it used to be Simon LeBon, but I really like John Taylor's a really nice human being. I've met him a couple of times. So I'm going to go with John. I, I just have to ask that because in her book, that's one of the subjects that she's an expert in. So just had to quickly add that in. Mine was always Nick Rhodes. I just want to have to put that in there. <laughs> that makes sense. You seem like a Nick Rhodes kind of girl. I'm a Nick Rhodes kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bree, you want to tell everybody about our next show? It's not Duran Duran, guys. I will not not tell Duran Duran, guys, because that will just let you guys know how pop culture illiterate I can be. Um, But, yes, thank you so much, Michelle. This was great. You gave us amazing information. So, you guys, we hope that you can tune in next month. We will be gathering around the virtual campfire on Wednesday, June 24th at 8 p.m. Central. And we're going to talk with copywriter Nikki Groom, who I love. She is amazing. And she is going to tell us all about how to write sales pages that sell. And as always, Teresa and I like to point out that, you know, these shows often have themes that build. So, like, tonight we really talked about, you know, getting clear on what your big idea is. If you'll put some of that into practice between now and the next time we have Talking Shop, then you're going to be even better positioned to write a sales page that sells. So do that. Right on. <laughs> and Thank you all so, yeah. so much. This was great. And hopefully we'll see you guys all next month. And always remember you can find me, Teresa Reed, at www.thetarolady.com. And, Bree, where can they find you? You guys, thank you again for joining us. You can find me at com. That's B-R-I-A-N-A-S-A-U-S-S-Y.com. We hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you all very much. Good night. Good night.